Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 26th, 2023. This week, please vote yes on our You'll Get Nothing and Like It proposal. No. <laughs> I'm Kim Hollis, and I am all in. You're in London? I wish. Oh. Also with me are David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and noticing exciting changes on YouTube. When I pull up YouTube today, it tells me Sunday Ticket is coming soon. I have like the games available to click right now. Soon, my pretties. Soon. <laughs> Ooh. Also, Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer following the buzzards. Wrestling friends, it was a rough week. We yeah. lost one of the most creative people in wrestling in the last 10 plus years possibly ever and just seeing the tributes to Bray Wyatt it just sounds cliche but this guy was clearly beloved by everyone because he was behind the scenes he was an amazing person even though he was basically portraying a monster on screen but it was it was tough when that news came out that he had passed away yeah and we should also mention that terry funk died as well Mm -hmm. which was absolutely brutal week but the difference between them terry funk lived nearly twice as long as bray wyatt and somebody that young and that gifted dying from covid related illness it's just it's demoralizing on any number of levels and heartbreaking yep and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who should be out there catching Pokemon right now. There's Pikachus out there with three different color tiaras. Three. Three? Oh, he's got a new hat, so you got to get him. <laughs> this week, Disney CEO Bob Iger, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff, NBC Universal CEO Donna Langley, and Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos came out of their hole and saw the shadow of their hubris. So it's looking like six more weeks of strike. Womp womp. You usually say that, Kim. Uh, Yeah, apparently the negotiations with the WGA did not go well. There had been an offer on the table and... In the last uh, meeting they had, the CEOs, which let's be honest, it's not easy to bring together all these CEOs at one time, but they all marched into one room and basically said, so what about that offer we gave you? And the WGA said, look, it's not enough. And the CEO said, okay, well, so long. And what was it? Within minutes of them walking out of the room, they released the text of the offer to the press with an expectation that they were going to try to divide the writers and their negotiating committee. And they, in fact, had the opposite result. They seem to have uh, solidified the base. Everyone everyone thought that the offer was not good enough, just like the negotiation team had said. It's just been an all-around bad week for the studios. So what do they do at the end of the week? They hired a PR firm because, honestly, these guys are doing a terrible job of handling their own PR. They're still trying to win a PR campaign that they lost pretty much on day one. There's no coming back from it. They said things in public that had played well in two 2008, 2009, when they still completely controlled the media. We live in a different era now where there is a more universal conversation method. And because of that, the old playbook no longer applies. They've been scrambling since day one when, you know, Bob Iger, whom I like and respect, went on CNBC and just blew it. Absolutely blew it. Zaslav might be the most hated person in the world whose name does not rhyme with dusk. We're already off 
off the reservation with any hopes of winning a PR battle here. The strange part of all of this is there really wasn't a legitimate attempt to end the strike because we're getting to the point now it's going to start hurting the bottom lines of companies. And they did the exact same thing now that they did more than 100 days ago, which is they just figured they could come in and bully the writers into a deal. That's not going to fly. These people have already said, we've got nothing to lose. And I mentioned it once before. It applies. The Bob Dylan quote, when you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. There is no reason for writers to be agreeable right now. The onus is on the people in charge of Disney, of Warner Brothers Discovery, NBC Universal, and especially Netflix to work this deal. They're the ones with something to lose. Yeah, I don't see an out here for the studios other than to come back with an even better offer. It's up to the studios to decide how they're going to fix this. They're not going to fix this with an optics battle and better messaging and getting out there in front of the press and talking to reporters. None of that messaging is going to translate. All the writers already understand what's on the table and what's at risk here. It's just prolonging the inevitable. The only way this ends is for the studios to put on the table a reasonable offer and instead of doing that, the studios are trying to win an optics battle. It's just absurd. By all accounts, the people in charge of these negotiations have agreed to something unlikely. They are going to add transparency to data, and they're saying that they can do this. However, they're saying they can do this every three months, and we'd appreciate if you didn't tell anyone because this will be entirely proprietary secret data. Now, let's just say you're being incredibly naive if you think that especially Netflix doesn't already have this data and can't tell you everything it says. They don't want it out there because it's going to be detrimental to the cause because people are going to realize just how much their work is being consumed and just how much more they should be expecting in future deals. And that's why we're seeing these reports where Netflix officials, especially the high level ones, are freaked out at the thought of this agreement because this will hurt them long term and it will impact their bottom line in a extremely hostile manner, which is why I still struggle to find the path where this deal is going to happen anytime soon. Comically, I've read some of the proposed offers. And while it does appear that the studios are offering to reveal streaming data to the writers, there does not seem to be any consequence to that. There is nothing that ties remuneration to that streaming data. You're not going to get higher residuals just because your shows did higher on the charts they're going to show you. They're just going to show you the charts. So that seems that seems utterly pointless, which I feel is one of the reasons that the WGA decided that, yeah, showing us the data is not enough. Now that we know what the data is, we'd also like more money for the hits. That is what they have been arguing for the whole time. Now, the irony here about the studios, the streamers, the AMPTP being as entrenched as they are is that, as David pointed out, they're the ones who are likely to lose the most at this point. They are past their quarterly earnings. Now they are likely to start losing money from their bottom line. They're entering the fall TV schedule. We're talking about what awards season is going to look like this fall with the Emmys and the Academy Awards. We are seeing movies being postponed. The latest one being the Dune sequel has now been pushed into 2024, leaving a lot of fans very disappointed. The movies that are coming out are 
are not getting any kind of marketing push from their actors. The awards circuit like Venice and Toronto are basically a ghost town because a lot of the actors, they're on strike. They can't go and promote their projects there. It's a mess. And the only thing we're getting out of the studios is that they're taking some of their streaming shows and putting them on their broadcast channels to backfill those original shows that they can't produce. In fact, Star Trek Stranger Worlds that we all love will be premiering on CBS this fall. The new Frasier reboot, which was coming to Paramount Plus and is still coming to Paramount Plus, will also be coming to CBS this fall. That is the last trick that the studios had in their bag of tricks. And it's not a great trick. They're in a hard place and they have started canceling shows. We talked about a couple last week, shows that had previously been announced as being renewed are now canceled, like The Peripheral. We mentioned that last week. This week, it's Doogie Kamehameha on Disney+. Plus. That show got two seasons. It was easy to believe it would have gotten a third season if there hadn't been a strike, but nope, that show's gone now. It... <laughs> I'm sorry, David, but yes. But it does boil down to the beatings will continue until morale improves. Until the writers and the <laughs> actors, yes, yeah. until the writers and the actors yield to the studios, projects will continue to get canceled. No. We will cancel one show a week until you give in to our demands. They're only hurting themselves when they do that. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the stupid part of it. <laughs> but then even, even as the studios are running out of scripted content, uh, Max has figured out a way to add new unscripted content to their streaming platform as, hey, David, it's the return of CNN to streaming with CNN Max. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Uh, didn't I pay $2.99 for that a couple of years ago? <laughs> Somewhere, Jeff Zucker just punched a wall. Yeah, apparently Warner Brothers Discovery has decided that it's time for CNN to have a streaming service. And let's forget all wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. The people who previously canceled the CNN streaming service have decided, <laughs> what? You're making this up. Nope. And honestly, I'm not entirely clear as to what it amounts to. It does look like it's going to be CNN documentaries, series, and movies. It's not necessarily going to be live streaming breaking news, except for when there is breaking news. But then the question is, what do you call breaking news anymore these days? Because they seem to call everything breaking news because it grabs headlines. It's unclear right now, but it does seem to be that it's going to be part of your Max subscription. There's a lot left that needs to be clarified, but let's remember that these are also the people who wouldn't announce the name of their streaming service until a couple of weeks before they launched it, and then didn't even know what was on their streaming service until several weeks after they launched it. And that's not even the worst part, is it? No, because if you are watching other Max content on Max, like, I don't know, Casablanca or The Flash, and there's breaking news, you'll get a ticker on your screen telling you there's breaking news and you can click here to switch over to CNN Max. That just makes me irrationally angry. Like, I'm not even joking right now. The whole point of what we're doing when we consume entertainment is to avoid real world scenarios. And this is like, nope, nope, stop what you're doing. Something more important is on. This is people who bought CNN have no understanding of CNN, are trying to shove CNN down people's throats and keep it current and topical. And I just keep thinking to myself, the worst thing that happened in society was Ted Turner losing CNN. It really is. Because nobody who's had it since then has had any concept of what it is or how to monetize it. This is just infuriating. 
but it is at least more content from a streaming platform that right now is not producing any original scripted content. They have to do something and this is their solution. All right, Tim, with that happy topic covered, how about the box office? What's it looking like? Well, it was a lot more fun to talk about when it was just Barbenheimer dominating everything. We've gotten past that now, unfortunately. Uh, We do have a new movie at the top for this weekend, Gran Turismo, based on the video game and about a guy who played the video game and then somehow turned that into a career racing the actual cars. That doesn't happen in real life. No, not at all. 8.5 8.5 million on Friday with 1.4 of that coming on Thursday. So fine for the end of August, but still not really where we want to be when it comes to box office. Barbie did become the top domestic movie for of 2023 during the week, surpassing Super Mario Brothers as it currently stands at 581 million domestically as of Friday on its way to 600 million. What the heck? What? I'm sad for Mario. Yeah. <laughs> But other than that, we're, we're kind of in this back to this, hey, this movie did okay. We kind of wish it had done better box office period. We do have a holiday weekend next weekend. We have Equalizer 3, which is just a weird time to release that. And I guess I expect that to get a little bit of a bump. But after the wave of Barbie and Oppenheimer basically saving the year's box office, we're just kind of back to, well, okay, it's there. It happened. We wish it had done better sort of scenario. And I don't see much coming along down the line that's going to change that. And we even had a movie get the hell out of 2023 as they think the strike is going to continue because Dune 2 uh, is now going to come out next March. Yep. I know many unhappy people in regards to that, as mentioned earlier. Tim, do we expect any impact from National Cinema Day this weekend? Uh, I feel like those things sort of things have never really moved the needle before. Mm. Yeah, and at $4 a ticket, it's all but impossible for those things to move the needle. Mm -hmm. It's better for the movie theaters themselves and that they're making their actual money, which comes from popcorn sales, nacho sales, $7 Cokes, that sort of thing. So it's going to be great for the industry as a whole, just not movie box office. Tim, you don't sound as positive about either Equalizer 3 or Gran Turismo as I am because there were people who were... Just devout in the fact that Gran Turismo would be lucky to make 15 million for the weekend. With the 60 million budget, an opening in the low 20s, does that strike you as? I know it's not good. We have this conversation so often. Good has become such a relative term now, mm-hmm. but it's at least exceeded expectations, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess it helps that they managed to keep the, the budget down. And that's not bad. We are in a historically weak weekend for box office. End of August is usually when studios dump stuff they don't have much confidence in, but it is a different world now in, in box office. So I, I certainly think that could have been 8 million, 8.5 million on Friday could have been much worse. So yeah, it's going to come in with a little over 20. That's fine. I, I wasn't aware of the cost, but that's good that they didn't cost say like a hundred million. Right. And that kind of helps from the fact that, you know, most of the people in the film aren't Hollywood stars per se, which keeps the budget down. And that's why I think we're actually going to start trending more towards relative unknowns and let somebody mm-hmm. else pay for them when they become established. But just looking at this, there are two other comments I want to make here. And one of them is about how strange this business has gotten in such a short period of time. And the example I want to use is Meg to the Trench, which made right at $1 million yesterday. Tim, did you realize you can buy that on Vudu right now? 
I did see that that had happened. And I was like, wait, didn't that just come out like a couple of weeks ago? And yeah, depending on, I guess maybe it's depending on the studio. They've already decided to put things out after just a couple of weeks. I think Blue Beetle, which came out two weeks ago, is not far behind, right? This seems to be what Warner Brothers has decided, that there is enough money in the idea of premium video on demand that they're going to have a second launch phase. And this second launch phase is basically three weeks after a moderate to poor performer comes out in theaters. It is earning so little in box office that Warner Brothers has decided it is not actually cannibalizing its box office if it goes ahead and starts selling it for, and I want to be clear about this price, $24.99 to own or $19.99 to rent on Vudu, on Apple iTunes, or on Amazon. On. So this does seem to be the play moving forward, which is a thing we thought during the pandemic would become permanent. Mm-hmm. The studios moved away from it. And now it looks like Warner Brothers and to a lesser extent, Disney and Paramount are moving back to it. Universal kind of has embraced it. That is like just a fascinating subplot here. The other thing I want to ask you about with Equalizer, we're talking about a franchise that is pretty consistently opened in the 30 plus million range. And Labor Day has actually switched from when we were first analyzing box office to where it's a pretty decent weekend. When you talk about Equalizer 3 not making much of a move, do you think it can do 30 million over a four-day holiday, or is that too rich for your blood? I would hope so. It's <laughs> okay. If it, it's Denzel, I mean, it's Denzel Washington, still one of the most recognizable people in, in movies. And yeah, the when I looked a couple weeks ago, I hadn't realized the first two basically earned the same amount. They earned 101 million, 102 million, respectively, with 34 and 36 million openings, but at different release times. Like the first one was late September, the second one was late July. So this one going with a holiday weekend, I wonder if they're just hoping that yeah. It's a holiday weekend. People will will go ahead and see, you know, still one of the more famous people in terms of, you know, movie stars that's around. So I'm I'm hopeful that this can do do 30 million and, and do 100 million because that's desperately what the box office needs at the moment. I also actually want to add the movie we were talking about last weekend that we were hoping would cap off, you know, what was generally a disappointing week for the R-rated comedies. That was Bottoms. Yeah, they decided to only put it out in 10 theaters this weekend. What a stupid <laughs> idea. Kim and I were talking about for the podcast. It is infuriating. There is like an entire TikTok subculture already devoted to this and they are begging, begging for a release of this that they can celebrate. And instead, the studios are running away from projects like this. It is just infuriating to me how little studios understand the value of the niche market. Of all the the comedies we had this weekend, this is the one that's most likely to catch on, if not in theaters, at least as like develop maybe a cult following. But you're just shooting yourself right in the foot by just deciding to to platform it. This easily could have been a jury duty type success story if they had just given it any oxygen whatsoever. And instead, they ran and hid because they were afraid of queer content. It is as simple as that. And you can hear it in my voice. I find this infuriating. Pretty aggravating because I do feel like there's an audience that is wanting to go see that. As I check on Rotten Tomatoes, Bottoms is currently 95% fresh after 83 reviews, and it is 100% audience score. Mm -hmm. Hollywood, you're begging a generation of customers to come see your products. They're telling you what they want. Listen to them. No. (laughs) One day somebody's going to make a super cut of this podcast and it's just going to be me gradually losing my mind and frustration in Hollywood and (laughs) it's unavoidable. 
that and each one of us saying no at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Never right. going to be yes. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about the actual ratings. Then. Yes. We are still looking at the Suits Nielsen streaming ratings brought to you by Suits for Monday, Bye. July 24th to Sunday, July 30th, 2023. The top original show is still sweet, not steel. Magnolia's uh, 1.4 billion minutes for 30 episodes. The first full week of the release of the third season. So I guess not a surprise here, even though I could not tell you anything else about this show. The Witcher does get its final three episodes of its third season and jumps to 868 million minutes for 24 total episodes. This does wrap up Henry Cavill's run as Geralt. We know there will be a fourth season where the role is now played by Liam Hemsworth, the lesser of the, the Hemsworths. The Lincoln Lawyer is a week away from adding the second half of its second season. It's still here in third with 506 million minutes, so that should take a jump next week, I guess, competing with Sweet Magnolias. But now I don't know for sure because I assumed like The Witcher would be the top show this week, but I underestimated the power of that show. All right. Kim and David, new and fourth is the show that will not die, Futurama. Good news, everyone. Good news, everyone. Yes. Now on Hulu, claiming 506 million minutes for 136 episodes with its eighth season now airing. Uh, <laughs> the amazing thing is this was just one episode. That new episode added to the season and the show is entirely now available on Hulu. Wait, where was this before? Yeah, that's the thing here that Bears mentioned. First of all, I want to say that since Futurama is legitimately my favorite show ever, I cannot tell you how happy that makes me. Uh, You know, I done the joke lately. I'm on my break because of Suits discussion. Didn't do it this time because this is a victory lap of epic proportions. Futurama is the show you cannot kill. It is filmed, and this is not a joke. Four different series finales and you have to imagine how much the sword of Damocles hasn't just tilted over the show's head (laughs) it has actually came down and cut it multiple times to be in that situation and yet here it is again because we're watching an evolution in the way people consume media specifically with animation Fox had all of these great shows that it cancelled like Futurama and Family Guy that's right Family Guy was cancelled and off the air and people found it on DVD and Fox eventually clued up and brought it back. This is not a new behavior per se, but what we're seeing is when we look at the most popular sitcom programming on streaming services, much of it is the category they call adult animation, which isn't as sexy as it sounds. It is, in fact, cartoons catered toward adult senses of humor. Futurama is arguably number three in this category overall, at an absolute minimum, you could say it's number six. This is one of the most popular shows on streaming, and that was true before they brought it back. Now its return is basically just a huge victory lap for everyone involved. And I've seen early data on Futurama that suggests that this isn't a one-off. This is a phenomenon that will sustain. And of course, to your point, Tim, the previous 135 episodes have been streaming on Hulu for some time now, and yet never managed to chart onto the acquireds list. Mm -hmm. It's only the fact that they've added a single new episode and Nielsen lumps it all together that it now makes it onto the charts and it makes it onto the charts as original because there is a single new episode. Right. (laughs) That 506 million minutes would have been a hard sell on the acquireds list to begin with because other acquired shows generally get a lot more eyeballs. Right. It's much easier to crack the original chart than than the acquired chart. 
Exactly. Again, exposing the flaws in Nielsen's ratings here because they can't tell what the difference is between an original new episode and a rerun of a show from five years ago. They just lump it all together. And this is disappointing, but not surprising. The other thing I want to say, I want to go ahead and fill in the blanks here. As far as anyone can tell, the two most popular adult animated comedies are South Park and The Simpsons. That's pretty cut and dry. The debate then becomes between Rick and Morty, Family Guy, Futurama, and Bob's Burgers for the next spots. And then we also have American Dad, King of the Hill, and Archer are generally in that next mix. So those are like nine of the sustained top 10 most popular animated comedies. And it is not coincidence that TBS keeps redoing American Dad because that is content Hulu wants, which means TBS is incentivized to keep renewing it. Similarly, Bob's Burgers on Fox. We've got Rick and Morty new episodes airing and we've got King of the Hill right around the corner. This is a niche. I was just referring to that with box office. This is one that we have unearthed thanks to data and it just kind of reinforces the fact that all the shows Fox canceled back in the day, those were stupid, short-sighted business decisions, which is what fans tried to tell them then. And it circles back to what we're saying about Hollywood right now. You need to be watching people under 30 to see how they consume media and going with them rather than releasing bottoms in 10 theaters. Bottoms could be this sort of Futurama type of thing. Futurama's success has been a 24-year story happening overnight this week. And worth pointing out that despite the content, Disney actually owns and produces most of those shows you just rattled off, David, except for a couple like Rick and Morty and South Park. Disney has fallen into the success through their acquisition of 20th Century Fox. And yeah, going back to something you had said initially, David, I expect this with just one episode and it landing on the chart. I expect to see this through its entire run of the season, which they apparently have also divided into two parts, but it's going to get new episodes through the end of September every week. I'm convinced this will be a mainstay on the originals chart for a couple months. We kind of got a hint about this a few months ago when it became clear that Clone High, which we have not seen on the charts, Mm -hmm. wasn't just renewed for two seasons. They went ahead and have hinted that three and four are in the offing as well. And we also know that Harley Quinn, one of our favorite shows, was facing cancellation when the new Warner Brothers Discovery team came in. It has since been renewed for, you know, the season we're watching right now and an additional season we're starting to see the impact as people get this data they're like we can't cancel this this is inexpensive content to create and it does shockingly well and whenever people talk about disney's acquisition of fox i keep stressing the purchase of the simpsons alone justifies a staggering percentage of the financial investment because of the revenue opportunities for it these are generating properties and that's why futurama is probably going to be here for a while for once first time possibly since the inception of the show that its future seems bright I'll also throw in there that, and I know we've mentioned it on the show before, but I think it bears repeating that Hulu is actually marketing their animation block of offerings, which I think is super clever because there is so clearly a devoted and dedicated audience for all their different animated series. And I think this bears that out. Prime Videos, Jack Ryan is still here in fifth, 505 million minutes viewed. They also have a returning show in six, Good Omens, 445 million minutes for 12 episodes. The six 
sixth episode, second season arrived on the service on 28th. And Excellent. Then, yes. I, I love David Tennant. I love mm-hmm. this show. I love Neil Gaiman. This is Yes, I was very happy for news. you specifically when I when I saw this game because I know it has a fairly small but devoted following for its source material being Neil Gaiman books and stars, including David Tennant. The thing about this one is considering that Neil Gaiman and the stars of this series were not able to promote it, I feel like the fact that it's showing up here is really amazing. Yeah, that's a discussion uh, I had in the back of my mind. I mean, you can look at, say, Barbie making, you know, $600 million, but then how much is the lack of stars not promoting their works affecting box office and i guess is that maybe translating to streaming as well yeah i mean people want to see the content they'll find it but i do wonder how much that is actually having an impact on box office i was part of a whole conversation this week where people had no idea this existed mm-hmm. season one or season two and so i think oh, wow. okay. we're seeing yeah we're seeing people discover it it's really exciting to see okay I, yeah i definitely remember you and my social media circle in general being like super hyped for the first season of, of this i do think one thing we may see just because of the strike and lack of content is it may benefit some shows like this that have had you know small but dedicated audiences over the mm-hmm. last few years who will definitely go out and recommend them to people let's hope so and we will put a pin in that for a moment the other thing i want to say here along those lines is this is the subtle benefit of being good that we're always talking about, that we wish people would be more supportive of products they know their customers are going to like. For whatever reason, Hollywood has never really worked like that, which is maddening. But sometimes things like this happen where there's gaps in content, and that's when people discover new things, and you're more likely to recommend something if it really, really moves you. This is the thing we're starting to actually be able to track now with data that we hadn't in the past. Prime Video has a pretty good week because they get three shows on the original chart as we still have The Summer I Turned Pretty, 396 million minutes for 12 episodes. Star Trek Strange New Worlds from Paramount Plus is up to 18 episodes, 395 million minutes for ninth on the original chart this week. As we mentioned that this will be airing on CBS proper in the fall because it, it is strike-proof content. So I wonder if that will expand its audience, especially as people just absolutely raved about its second season. And the thing about this one, too, is it's a Star Trek that's very accessible, doesn't necessarily require that you have to be a huge Mm -hmm. longtime Star Trek fan to enjoy and appreciate it. So if they can build off that, they may have a, a hit here. The other thing that's really smart about it that maybe we don't think about enough is that the people most likely to be watching network television right now are also the ones who are most indoctrinated to the original Star Trek program, which means that they remember watching in the 1970s the infinite reruns of Captain Pike in his chair, beeping his answers about how he'd come to be so, you know miserable. So the exploration of that prequel is probably going to appeal more to those viewers than it would like, you know, your average person who's watching CBS on a random night. And we wrap up originals with quarterback from Netflix, 393 million minutes for the eight episode sports documentary. Movies is led by something we saw premiere last week. They clone Tyrone, jumping to 664 million minutes for the first week of its availability on Netflix. Um, Not too bad. And Roel, I know you had mentioned you had watched it this week. I know you're probably going to talk about it in, in a bit. So I'm curious to hear your opinions on it. Surprisingly, not so much a comedy, 
Huh. Still a great movie. Solid with John Boyega and Jamie Foxx in the cast. You'd expect that it would be a solid movie. Very skewed towards urban audiences. I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, and the dialogue sometimes is difficult to follow along. I'm honestly surprised that it was a Netflix movie. Right, and returning in second after a one-week vacation is Transformers Rise of the Beasts from Paramount Plus, 638 million minutes. So the question now is, did Nielsen make a whoopsie, or did they really give us some PVOD data when we saw it a couple weeks ago? Not a question we can answer. <laughs> exactly. When we realized that, wait, this, this shouldn't be here yet, that was very interesting. We will never know, but uh, I do find it fascinating that there is a distinct possibility that just certain movies, once they hit a video on, on demand, people will pay for them and, and watch them. And that may be good enough to get them on Nielsen's Nielsen's ratings, which is just absolutely fascinating. And I would give a lot of money for all for much more data on this stuff. But hey, may, maybe that, that will be a settlement as part of the, the strikes. We'll, we'll get more transparency from, from the streamers. New and third is Hidden Strike from Netflix, 446 million minutes. This is an action film starring Jackie Chan and John Cena. The American Dreamboat? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you mean <laughs> like this is the most conflicted I may ever be about a thing because I love Jackie Chan and I don't love John Cena. I so, was I've been going to say how many people say oh Jackie Chan and then John Cena and I, I think two of those people participate in this podcast, but it was pretty poorly reviewed. It is not a Netflix original. Apparently, it was something released uh, overseas early in July and then just arrived directly on on Netflix on July twenty eighth. A poorly reviewed John Cena product, you say? Right. So it's like every match he ever had. Got it. <laughs> and, and and most of his movies and that's actually a, a hint for later also new in fourth happiness for beginners 434 million minutes this is a uh, netflix original uh, arriving on july 27th it's a romantic comedy starring ellie kemper and luke grimes based on a novel apparently puss in boots the last wish from netflix is fifth 410 million minutes something else new in six miraculous ladybug and cat noir the movie 350 million minutes this is a animated movie based on an existing series also called miraculous tales of ladybug and cat noir now it gets a full-length feature movie. I thought this might show up. It's not surprising to see, you know, kid-friendly content on here. So sure, that's that's pretty good. Uh, Moana from Disney Plus. That's the the bar for the movies chart. Whether we're having a good week or bad week. Uh, 245 million minutes, along with Encanto in ninth. I'll toss that in now. 186 million minutes. Uh, and from Prime Video in eighth, Knock at the Cabin, 221 million minutes. Uh, this seems to be another scenario where this is a universal movie that was a theatrical release in January. Uh, did, okay, this is the uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie starring Dave Bautista and then went to Peacock a couple months later after its theatrical release. And then after that window expires, it goes to another streamer. And in this case, it is Prime Video. And movies wraps up with The Outlaws, 169 million minutes and 10. Acquired is, of course, still led by Suits, another 3.6 billion minutes. So your dream of 4 billion may be over, Raul. Yeah, but I did want to add that if you averaged out the number of people in the U.S. who are subscribed to Netflix, that's about 75 million, and divide that by the number of minutes watched on Suits this week, which was roughly 3.6 billion minutes, each person on Netflix watched about 46 minutes of Suits. Every episode of Suits is about 46 minutes long. So this would be the same as if 75 million people watched a single episode of watched something one episode on, of suits, on yes. broadcast television, say. The highest rated show on broadcast television this same week was a uh, Women's World Cup game on Fox where six 
million people watched. So more than 10 times as many people watched a single episode of Suits is essentially the math here. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this we're not alone here going like, what the heck? Because these these numbers that Suits has pulled in over the last month have basically garnered mainstream coverage as to like, what is going on? Why are people just compelled to watch Suits as opposed to say any, literally anything else at this point? This is absolutely a sticking point as far as the strikes go in terms of residuals. It's going to have a legitimate impact on the future of streaming. Just these monster numbers at an old show that shows up as new content on Netflix is having. This it really is the turning point for streaming. And it's it's all because of this dumb show that aired on TV. And you probably didn't watch it. But then when it showed up on Netflix, you're like, oh, hey, Suits, I heard about this. And you decided to watch the whole thing to the tune of it having over 3 billion minutes viewed for a month now as you worked your way through the show. Yeah, it's nothing new this week. We do have SpongeBob SquarePants returning an eighth credited to Paramount Plus and Prime Video. So I'm always amused when it's not Netflix involved. 444 million minutes for 247 episodes. Heartland also returns Hulu, Netflix, and Peacock, 423 million minutes, and, and so on. But it's usual, the general mainstays, Bluey in second from Disney+, Plus, another billion minutes. So yeah, I, I was excited for when I saw Futurama arrive on the list, and I expect that to stay here now for quite a while. We had Transformers return. That Again, that, that's actually a good number for Paramount+, Plus, 638 million minutes. So it's going to be another interesting time. We, we're now hitting the weeks when we did what's new. We were like, wait, that's, that's it? That's all? So I'm curious to see where it goes from here, because it could just be more suits domination for yet another month. As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And we did talk about animated series earlier in the show. And I have been watching some Adventure Time, which is not on Hulu. It's actually on Max, but it's a lot of fun. It's my kind of thing. Not necessarily everyone's kind of thing, but it's very fanciful and strange. And and I always like animation like that. David and I also watched an episode of Gotham Knights, which I know has been canceled, but it was fine. Nothing too wrong with it. It wasn't outstanding or anything either. Has potential to be interesting. We'll see if we keep watching it. Raul, how about you? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I did get to watch They Clothed Tyrone on Netflix. But in addition to that plot twist, I renewed my Max subscription. It looks like if you go through your cancellation process on Max before you cancel, they'll actually give you a promotion to renew for another three months at a discounted rate. So I figured, sure, what the hell? I watched the last season of Barry. This is the Hitman series with Bill Hader. It is a little bit of a drama. It's a little bit of a comedy. I'll say, honestly, something this dark has no right being this funny. There were some incredibly hilarious scenes in this last season, but there's also a lot of very, very disturbing elements in the last season. But at the same time, you understand how it is that Barry has won as many awards as it has. It's fantastic. And I did end up watching The Flash just last night. I am a DC fan. I will say that for a DC fan, there is a lot of what they would call fan service in this movie, but I would argue not enough. There's some elements of it that you would argue it's like, well, they did some half measures. Why didn't they go all the way? And then there's the realization that if you're not a DC fan, then why are you even watching this at all? There's nothing here to entertain you. If you come in from even the first scene, you're not going to understand what's happening. It is entirely meaningless to you. And so they're basically catering to a very small base of fans here. And that is, I think, where this movie missed. Yes, there's some incredible action. There's a lot of entertainment. But if you're trying to understand what the plot is, unless you are fully invested into this franchise, it 
is entirely meaningless to you. And if you are fully invested to this franchise, you wish you had in fact gotten more of it. In the end, they ended up satisfying no one. So that's disappointing about The Flash. But on the other hand, if uh, you are subscribed to Max, I suggest you watch all seasons of Barry. The episodes are only about 30 minutes each. It is framed and formatted as a comedy, but it is a comedy about a hitman and people die and it is dark. So be prepared. All right, Tim, how about you? I went ahead and watched Vacation Friends 2 on Hulu, which actually premiered uh, on the service yesterday because I, I did enjoy the first one. It was you know, formulaic, but it was it was goofy enough. And John Cena is a cartoon character. So just being just ridiculously over the top kind of fits him. So it, it does bring back all the, the leads, Lobel Hallery, John Cena, Meredith Hagner. Uh, this does add Steve Buscemi as Meredith Hagner's father, but it's not as good as the first one. Cena is still pretty funny in it at times, but it, it's just more of the same but it doesn't feel as as original. So it's there. It's not great reviewed. But if you know if you like the first one, maybe you like this one. But yeah, I much enjoyed Vacation Friends as opposed to Vacation Friends 2. If there's one thing I've learned from John Cena, Captain Tight Underpants, <laughs> it's that casual drug use is fun and entirely without consequence. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, how about you? Yeah, I want to echo what Kim said, which is that we watched Gotham Knights and I was trying to work at the time. She catcalled Gotham Knights for the entire episode. She is saying she liked it fine. That was not the opinion I held based on the comments she made, which were aggressively unimpressed. It was obvious she did not think much of the script for the show. Uh, We're accidentally doing a DC theme this week because the other thing I watched was, Kim doesn't even know this yet, last night after she fell asleep, I suffered through Shazam! Fury of the Gods. And um, we really liked the first one, which makes the quality of the second one just absolutely heartbreaking. This is a film that shouldn't exist. And since it does, you kind of look around going, what is Helen Mirren doing here? I mean, I've been watching Helen Mirren since I saw her in an A&E production of A Midsummer Night's Dream in the 1980s. She is as talented a performer as there has ever been in the history of this industry. And that is not hyperbole, which makes it that much worse to see her phoning this in. None of this story works whatsoever. And it is frustrating to watch because I really like a lot of the people involved. But loath as I am to give David Zaslav any credit for anything, the reality is this version of DC needed to die screaming, and it did. And no one is going to miss it because it was terrible. Raul, when you talk about The Flash and, you know, you're saying it's not very good. I haven't watched The Flash yet. I am 100% confident it is night and day better than Shazam! Fury of the Gods, almost by accident. I mean, that's how little I think of what they've done here. And it's just heartbreaking. The first Shazam was delightful and they should have stopped at one. And by the way, I will add, the main reason that we watched Gotham Knights is because we really like one of the actresses, Anna Lore. She dates a wrestler we really, really like named Brian Nemeth. And she occasionally appears on the YouTube series Being the Elite, which we've mentioned in the past here. She is an utter delight in that, just a kind and likable human being. And so we're going to watch every episode of Gotham Knights specifically because she's in it. And that's probably going to be true of everything else she does in her career, isn't it, Kim? 
She's absolutely hilarious on being the elite. We thoroughly enjoy her. She's a great ad. But we'll say the other thing that I like about Gotham Knights is that it has Misha Collins, who I love. But he's very much a side character for the most part, at least so far. All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 